Hi, and welcome to the Swimming with Autism and More podcast. We are a group of three professionals who have over 80 years of collective experience in the field of autism. We are Tammy Anderson, professional swimming instructor, Kathy Ball, autism behavioral expert, and Shirley Fett, parent and mental health professional. We will bring you information, tips, and strategies each episode on how to successfully teach individuals with autism how to swim and more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Swimming with Autism and More, and we have Kathy Ball, Tammy Anderson, and myself, Shirley Fett, here today. The topic for today that we've chosen is, why is drowning the leading cause of death for children with autism? We want to spend some time today talking about this, why children with autism are drawn to water, some statistics about this to help you understand how important it is we teach everyone with autism how to swim. And I'd like to start today's session off with a real world story that just happened right here in California. This was in Sacramento, California on Mother's Day this year. So a Sacramento woman spent Mother's Day surviving her worst nightmare. Her six-year-old son, who has autism, escaped home during a party and ended up floating inside a nearby reservoir. By sheer luck, she found him and saved his life just in time. The mother was driving all over the area, desperately searching for her son. She was about to go home to talk to the police when she decided to drive by a reservoir and saw him floating through a gap in the brush. I was frantic, of course, screaming at someone that went by, my baby's in the water. I think he probably fell. He's really into water, so I think he might have been trying to go to it and slipped in, kind of like I did. The mother said her son is low verbal autistic and very adventurous. He got out of the house when someone accidentally forgot to flip the top safety lock on their door during a family party. Luckily, the mother had a sharp eye and the the Sacramento police officers that were on duty were nearby. We were able to drop our vests and our gun belts and we just jumped in. We jumped right in from the bank into the water. The police officers worked together to pull him out through the water. The officers still had their jackets and their boots on. One jumped in with a rope and life jackets and they pulled us to the shore. They put a ladder in and pulled us out, the mother said. If there was ever the right place to be at the right time, this was it. He wouldn't yell for help. He wouldn't understand. Even getting him out of the water, he didn't seem to understand the danger, his mother said. They are so grateful that things turned out okay. And I quote the mother here, when it comes to something like this, it's kind of like searching for a needle in a haystack. The luck involved, I don't know if it was intuition or what. The mother said her son had just learned how to float a few weeks ago. She urges other parents to invest the time and money in teaching their kids how to swim. So we're going to talk a lot today about how important it is for kids with autism to learn to swim. So I'm going to turn it over to Tammy. Well, and I found an interesting article that has some statistics that I'd like to share with you. So the National Institute of Health in 2017 had a study uh, in there, and it's called The Characteristics of Unintentional Drowning Deaths in Children with Autism. And the study focused only on children ages 15 and younger. But it was super interesting, and so I wanted to share with you. So first off, wandering was the precursor to the drowning event 73.9% of the time. Now, you would also most likely think that kids were drowning in pools and, and maybe at their house and things like that. 
But actually, 52% of the drownings were in ponds. And you know the type of ponds that are at a golf course or maybe a retention pond or maybe a pond that was then created out of um, a heavy rain or something like that. But it was 52% were actually in ponds. And then the other bodies of water that uh, these children who had drowned were found in were rivers, lakes, and creeks. So those are other bodies of water besides a backyard swimming pool or a community pool that these children have been found who have drowned. The other interesting thing was the age range for both boys and girls um, between ages 3 and 14, but particularly the ages between 5 and 8 years old were the most prevalent, and especially for boys ages 7 and 8 were the ones that were found who have drowned. Um, Most of them were reported missing first before they were found, and at the time they were found, they were only... 300 or so yards away from their house and the time of the day that they were found was between 12 noon and 7 p.m so to me that was super interesting of the statistics on drowning in children with autism so yeah that's really powerful information and again goes back to why we feel it's really important that we teach all of our children with autism how to swim So, Kathy, I'm going to turn it over to you now, and so let's talk a little bit about why do you think children with autism are so drawn to water? Well, um, they are, they're sensory seekers. In in one or more areas of their sensory system, they become so hyper-focused when it comes to water that they're not even thinking about any danger or safety. They're just thinking about the water. Um, When it comes to the sense of touch, the way the water falls through their hands or feels in their, their through their fingers, the way the water feels um, when their whole body is submerged in it, they really enjoy that. Um, the way that it sounds when it's dripping or it's flowing or flushing or the waves crashing, the way the water can make bubble sounds, um, and even the way the water is muted when they are completely under the water. Um, when it comes, and the way it smells too, water smells salty, there's a chlorine smells, there could be fishy smells, dirt smells. Um, when it comes to visual, um, the lights reflection on the water, they see that and they enjoy that a lot. It changes the way the lines look at the bottom of the pool, um, the way it reflects from there. Um, it changes the shapes and the movement of wa- of objects that are in- underneath the water. Um, I th- think that they're just love the water so much and that's all they're really focused on I can tell you from my experience with my particularly my younger son Derek he's 26 now but he is very drawn to the movement of water so that again speaks to the visual enjoyment that comes with water for children with autism Um, I mentioned in our earlier broadcast uh, podcast that he had gotten out one night and it was a rainy night and I know he was following the water that had formed a a miniature river along the curbs in our town and the water was flowing down the hills and he just loved that so that makes areas like rivers streams creeks particularly worrisome because the movement of the water is very appealing I will also say to the sensory aspect of it I think the temperature of the water also can be pleasurable for a lot of the kids most of us would think oh nice warm water is it but um, again my younger son he seems to like cold water interestingly enough and 
seems a bit impervious to it. He'll go swimming in the ocean here in San Diego without a wetsuit in the winter. So uh, again, and it's like 63 it, degrees. It, he's drawn to that. And to all of us, we think that would just be miserable. But their sensory experiences overall are generally very different than a typical person. And this speaks to what one of the feelings is about autism is that it's a different neurology. Their, their central and peripheral nervous systems are just wired differently than a typical person. So we always have to be mindful of that when we're working with them, that their sensations aren't going to be the same as ours. And I think their affinity and drawing towards water is, is, um, has to do with that as well. Well, there's also the sensory benefit that the water provides. So there is the hydrostatic pressure, which, you know, for so many kids with autism, they love to have that deep pressure or they love the weighted um, blankets, weighted vests, those deep hugs that you give them. Well, the water does that naturally for them. So it gives them that nice little full body hug and it helps to relax them. So for some of the kids, they may be seeking comfort in some way with all their sensory issues that they may have. And it's also uh, the viscosity and the turbulence of the water, the way that the water moves, the thickness of the water and how it sways back and forth around their body is comforting. It's like giving them like a little rock in a rocking chair as well. So there's so many different um, sensory aspects to the water that is positive for the kids, but unfortunately, the kids really need to learn how to swim and be safe in the water before they can actually um, enjoy all these aspects. Um, there is one other thing to also th what Kathy and I usually when we do trainings or, and or I tell all my staff is that we usually tell them do not assume that if a student is going to go underwater that they are actually going to come up and get a breath. couple reasons, the safety mechanism and safety alert that they would like we would have, they don't necessarily have. But because it is so comforting and so soothing to them, sometimes they would just rather stay under in the underwater world than it would be to come up. So that is just one thing to always think about when you're working with students with autism. Again, I think just being so hyper-focused on the soothing and being under the water, they're not even thinking about breathing which is just such a natural reflex mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. everybody. Um, but to be so consumed mm -hmm. and so focused mm -hmm. on the sensory sensation that you're receiving mm -hmm. at that moment being completely submerged mm -hmm. that you can't even remember to breathe is um, pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know you guys have seen that. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, yes, with with a lot of the students yes. you've had. It seems incredible. Yeah. Like we would all be like naturally thinking, oh, well, of course I'm going to come up for a breath after yeah. a certain period of time. And you've seen kids stay underwater a scary <laughs> length of time. I know, we're like, scary. come back Not up. You <laughs> so you're like, yeah. yeah. So you've seen it in real world time. So this is a real thing. Yeah. Right. Kids with autism experience, and you just need to be mindful of that when you're working with them, that they may not have that natural mechanism to, like you said, come up to the surface and take a breath. So important to think about that as you're working with these individuals. Um, so I'd like to hear from you now on what you think our listeners should know about safety and drowning prevention. Well, we do know that swimming lessons are key in preventing drownings. And recently, 
the American Academy of Pediatrics just changed their stance on um, at what age a child should swim. So it was recommended um, up until just a few months ago that it was for children five years and older. But now the Academy of Pediatrics has changed their stance, and now they're saying that if a child starts swimming by the age of one, that should be, um, that should be the milestone that they start. Um, also, there has been some great statistics. There was a study, the Griffith study out of Australia, that they have found that children that start swimming at a young age are 89% less likely to drown than their typical peers at their age. But not only that, but it helps them with their brainwave movements and things like that, that they're actually smarter than their uh, typical peers. For those would be infants starting as young as two and three months old. Uh, a lot of swim programs generally start at six months old. I know at my swim school, we start at two months old. And actually, I've been known to take some of our staff babies and friend babies in at two weeks old. So you're never too young to start swimming. And um, the earlier, the better. And some of the tips that we will give you in a further podcast is how to begin those swim lessons. Even at home, there's things that you can do in the bathtub. I wanted to, um, you brought up an interesting point too. So the American Academy of Pediatrics new guidelines state children should, should start learning to swim at age one. And the interesting thing about autism is most people don't know at age one that their child has autism. The typical time when parents might notice, medical providers might notice there's developmental delays or challenges is usually around the 18 month to two year timeline. So the takeaway is basically if we can get all of our kids swimming by one, whether they're autistic or not, we're going to save a lot of lives. Right, exactly. And that and that was kind of an interesting uh, thought too, that so many of these kids, if we can get them swimming at six months, seven months, mm-hmm. yeah, as soon as before they're even in school, they'll, they will already be swimming before they're even diagnosed with autism mm-hmm. if we can get them in the pool early. So just think about that. And I also wanted to give you the top five safety precautions or safety things. So number one, as we stated, is swim lessons. Swim lessons are key in preventing drowning. But the second one is supervision. And supervision was actually stated in the study that the biggest contributing factor for the children that had drowned in the autism study was a lapse or a lack of caregiver supervision. And recently, there has actually here in the United States been an uptick in drownings. And I can tell you exactly why that is. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have cell phones. And unfortunately, we're getting distracted more and more on a daily basis. I see it at my swim school. I just had a new sign posted at my swim school for parents if they're to have their children in our little play area after their swim lessons. They were supposed to be off their phones and actively watching their children. And we have this new sign. And I tell you, it was just on Monday when I was teaching swim lessons, a parent was standing there on her phone in front of the sign, not even reading the sign, and her daughter was in the play area. So I leaned over and I said, oh, excuse me, you need to be, this is a no phone zone. You need to be off your phone when you're actively, and you need to actively be watching your child. Parents need to be aware that you need to get off your phones and you need to watch your children when they're in and around the pool. Um, another, can I? Uh, yeah, I just want to say I think the uptick in drownings you're speaking about isn't just in kids with autism, though. The point oh no, is, th- yeah, this, this is an is, all across the board. This is this is uh, yes. drownings for all children. Right, yeah. exactly yeah. for all children right now, all across the board. Right. There is an uptick in drownings. Right. 
And the second reason why there are uh, these drownings occurring is there is a greater use of flotation devices such as puddle jumpers, life jackets, armband floaties in the swimming pool. So puddle jumpers should not be used on any children and definitely not on a child with autism. And the reason being is that they will give them a false sense of security. So as we talked about earlier, the children, if they were to elope, they are probably not going to elope and grab their puddle jumper on the way out the door on the way down to the pond. So you have to understand that if children are wearing puddle jumpers, those are not saving their lives. They're actually hindering them from learning how to swim. And it puts them in the wrong body position. They tend to be in what's called the active drowning position, and that's just vertical when you want to be horizontal when you're trying to learn how to swim. And then what happens for us as swim instructors, it takes us months and months and months to break all these bad habits that have been created. Uh, bicycle kicks, um, being in the wrong position, not putting your face in the water, all these bad habits, all created by these flotation devices. I have on our swim school, um, Aquapro's Swim School Facebook page, there is two articles that I linked. One of them was a sheriff in Houston, Texas, talking about how a family was at a community pool and the child was in a puddle jumper. Then they everybody got out of the pool to go eat barbecue. Somebody had taken the puddle jumper off the child. The child then jumped back in the pool and drowned. But the thing that was even worse, it took them 12 minutes to find the child that had drowned in the pool. There was, safe, uh, there was surveillance cameras that documented all of this. And that is the lack of supervision. And then that is also the use of the puddle jumpers. There was also another drowning in the Texas area just last week as well, um, near drowning, this one. Um, and there was a, a, a girl and her young sister, and their aunt was watching them at the pool. Now, here again, the pool was a, a, like an apartment complex pool, and there was a surveillance camera, so it captured everything. So here is the young child. I think she was about three or four. She went to go jump in the pool with one of those floaty rings around her waist. The floaty ring then flipped her face forward. She was underneath the water. She couldn't breathe. And then this older sister recognized and ran over, jumped in the pool, and rescued her. But the whole time, the aunt was in the corner of the pool deck under the umbrella on her phone. She never saw the incident at all, and she never even attempted to even want run over and uh, rescue the girl. So this is why there is an uptick in the drowning in incidences across the board. It is the uh, use of these puddle jumpers, armband floaties, and parents, caregivers, babysitters, not supervising the children. If your child does not know how to swim, the adult needs to be in the water and what we like to call within one arm's length so you're always with them at all times. Um, drowning is silent and you won't even hear, and especially as we had mentioned before, with some of the kids with autism, they may not be able to call out. Um, so first thing, swim lessons. Second thing, supervision. Third thing would be the barriers and the, the not using of the um, 
puddle jumpers. And the barriers would also be fences around your property, alarms on the doors that at the exterior and in, interior doors that are around the pool area, alarms on the water are other things that you can use as a barrier. There is a water activated alarm. So if somebody jumps in or falls in a pool, it'll sound an alarm off. Uh, pool covers that have snap down um, hooks to them or remote pool covers, not the, not the cheapy little plastic bubbly covers that just lay on top of the surface, but the ones that actually really secure, secure the pool. Though That is another um, barrier. There are things in addition that can be used which are called safety turtle pool alarms, and those are kind of unique. So it is a wristband that is a shape of a little turtle. It would go on the child's wrist. And if the child happened to go outside and fall into the water in, a, in the pool within a certain radius, I believe it's 100, maybe 200 yards, it will set an alarm off in the house. And then there's also um, a, another product. There's many other products, but these are just two that I know of off the top of my head. There's one called the um, Eye Swim Band. It has an app, and then it actually is, you can either put a headband or you can put it on your wrist, and then if the child is underwater too long, it'll send an alarm. So there's all types of things that can help parents now, and including GPS. There's some GPS locating technology now, too, that is waterproof that you can use. So those are all really great safety precautions um, that parents can start using now. But one of the biggest things that you need to know is that you need to know where the bodies of water are within a one mile radius of your house. Most drownings occur within that 300 yards, but some of the kids that we have heard stories about can bolt and take off and be gone within a mile, two miles in less than 10 minutes. So for parents to be aware of all the bodies of water within at least a mile radius, um, would be good and if your child ever ever goes missing you check those first you make sure to look for them at the pool at the pond at the neighbor's house anything like that um and then just remember to the flotation devices life jackets are used for boating do not put your child with autism in a life jacket they will get a false sense of security do not put them in a puddle jumper they will get a false sense of security and same thing with the armband floaties they will get a false sense of security and it actually puts them at more risk than not so the best way to prevent drownings is get them into swim lessons and then also parents you need to be supervising the kids or at least put some type of alarm on them and I would like to add, if you are in the unfortunate situation with a child with autism that has gotten out, run away, eloped, and you're calling 911, law enforcement is not necessarily going to be aware that the bodies of water are the first places they should look. That's not going to be their typical thing. But I think it would be important to share with them, we need to look for the, at the, the bodies of water in our area first, because that's where we are worried our child has gone. So educating parents or anybody in that situation when you call 911 just say this is a child with autism check the bodies of water first because that's the most likely place they've gone to um, um, so we've got today's discussion which was about the importance of teaching swimming why kids with autism are are so drawn to water and a lot of the things that you can do not only for typical children but particularly for children with autism